Business News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Indeed we do, and if uh, you can find any rationality in defending CADA deployment after the disaster that South Africa has gone through, well, you're a better man than I. David Shapiro is back as our guest market commentator tonight. David, I am looking forward to your insights on lots of things, cater deployment <laughs> included. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. Alec, you know, I, I'm, I'm an old man. I'm in my 70s and that. And I, I recall the 1990s so so clearly and uh, the hope that we had. And, and, you know, 27th of April was when we, uh, 27 years ago, was when we first voted. And if I compare where we were then, and where we are now, and the characters that were there then are still many of the same characters. The promises that they made us that they've just not fulfilled, and it was so sad, you know, to hear the revelations of, uh, you know, of, of Cyril Ramaphosa, for whom we had so much hope and really thought he was the man that was going to turn it around. But you know, a lot of these chaps have been along the journey. They've all been along that journey. They're the responsible people, and that's the frustration, Alec. He was so, the chairman. Uh, he was the chairman of the CADA deployment uh, group, the body, the the dispensers yeah. of largesse for four yes. years. <laughs> so come on, so, I mean, how can he now go back and and say, "Oops, yeah. we made a mistake"? Anyway, uh, we live and learn and lose a trillion here and a, maybe at least we didn't lose a trillion to the <laughs> nuclear de- uh, nuclear deal that Zuma, by the way, who was the first chairman yeah. of the CADA deployment committee. It, it like beggars belief that yeah, they can continue to defend it. We'll talk more about that. Mm-hmm. We'll hear from Helen Ziller on the mm. subject, as well as the issue that a lot of our listeners on uh, FMR this evening would be most interested in, the succession of the Cape, and actually why it can't happen. Well, according to the former Premier Helen Ziller, <laughs> uh, chair, chair of the Democratic Alliance, uh, we'll also be chatting with Anthony Butler, Quite a bit of politics in the program tonight, but I guess it's right in our focus at the moment. Anthony is the biographer. He's the man who wrote that brilliant biography on Cyril Ramaphosa, which is uh, an absolute masterpiece. We're going to be talking to him about cater deployment and how Ramaphosa can stand up in front of the country and defend something that has cost us so much money and really put us back a long way and has injected into the system so many crooks. And then we'll be talking with Giron Novik, chief executive of Lyft, on a similar subject, uh, the demise of Mango, which has now followed South African Airways into business rescue. People who'd booked on Mango were initially told that they would be able to fly, and then this morning, no more flights. So the flights are now completely over. And Kevin Brady, who's the chief executive of A2X, And the reason we want to talk to Kevin was that we had a conversation last night. You'll recall it to Justin, my my colleague Justin Rowe Roberts in studio with us, about how the JAC had been such a shocking performer over the last five years. It was very interesting what Chris had to say. It was Chris Logan who who was Chris Logan. As an exchange listed on your own exchange, they're the only company exchange-wise to have backtracked in the last five years. So if you go through all the exchanges in the world – U.S., of course, I mean, help Brazil, Argentina, even London. the emerging economies. Mm-hmm. Those, those um, businesses have increased in value, whereas the JSC has backtracked. So we're going to try and find out from Kevin, why so? Is, uh, is A2X making the kind of inroads that would justify that kind of uh, price reversal by the JSC at a time when stock exchanges around the world are booming and our one? is going backwards. So we've got lots of uh, interesting subjects, as always, on the Biz News Power Hour. Uh, But first, we'll find out from our editor at large, Jackie Cameron, what's in the news in this Flash Briefing. President Cyril Ramaphosa has admitted that the ANC allowed looting in the so-called state capture era, with his comments hitting world headlines. The influential Financial Times of London says Ramaphosa's remarks at the Zondo Commission of Inquiry are his most direct admission yet of the party's failings under Jacob Zuma. 
But, says the Financial Times, Ramaphosa has stopped short of a full apology and said that the recognition of these facts does not mean that the ANC is itself corrupt or uniquely affected by corruption. The Zondo inquiry is investigating claims that Zuma allowed the Guptas, a business family, to control cabinet appointments and state contracts. President Ramaphosa was probed by lawyers on what he knew about the role of the Guptas in funding the ANC. Take a listen. The Guptas also donated money to the ANC over the years. Yes, the, the then Treasurer General has admitted to that fact. And there can be no doubt that the conduct of the Guptas uh, had also received high visibility in the media and elsewhere. Uh, there can be no doubt that uh, any donation from the Guptas should have been invested. Yes, I would say so too. There is in fact an allegation that was made to um, the Treasury General that the Guptas footed the bill for the ANC's 2012 conference in Mangawum. That correct? Um, I've heard of this allegation. Yes. Do you know whether it is correct? No, I don't. Yes, uh, I would concede that there should have been possibly an internal um, examination. Uh, uh, I don't know the extent to which an investigation would have been possible, but an examination, because an investigation conjures up in one's mind idea that you will subpoena this document, you will get this and that, and uh, being a, a political party, uh, I, I know the limitations even of the powers of a secretary general to, uh, to subpoena uh, documentation and evidence. So there should have been an, an examination. Could have been outsourced. Pardon? It could have been outsourced, the investigation. Well, that's a thought. It could certainly have been outsourced. Like Zuma's dodgy nuclear deal, Energy Minister Gwedi Mantash's powership deal is deeply suspect and frankly reeks of corruption. So says the leader of the opposition Democratic Alliance, John Steenhuizen, who notes that the deal locks South Africa into a 20-year contract to purchase expensive, dirty power. Under Mantashi's deal, he says, will be paying 2 rand 30 per kilowatt hour, while Saudi Arabia has just signed a power purchase agreement for solar power at an equivalent to 15 cents per kilowatt hour. The U.S. economy expanded rapidly in the first quarter, growing at a 6.4% annual rate and extending what economists project will be a robust consumer-led recovery from the pandemic this year. That's according to BizNews premium partner The Wall Street Journal, which says that the jump in U.S. gross domestic product in the first three months of the year put the size of the economy slightly ahead of where it stood a year earlier, just as the pandemic reached the U.S. Meanwhile, the S&P 500, which is an index of the biggest publicly listed companies in the U.S., has risen 10% since Mr. Biden's January the 20th inauguration. The index is on course for its strongest performance since the start of Mr. Roosevelt's first term in 1933, when it surged 80% after a spectacular crash in the Great Depression. China is preparing to slap a fine on Tencent as part of its antitrust crackdown on the country's internet giants. Reuters reports that Tencent may face a fine of at least 10 billion yuan, which is the equivalent of 1.6 billion US dollars, which is less than the 2.8 billion levied on Alibaba. Tencent underpins Amsterdam-listed process and the JSE Naspers, which dominates the South African stock exchange. And that was your BizNews Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews. For more on those and the other big news stories of the day, Go to businessradio.com. Well, it seems our president has got a very short memory. David, you might remember the ANC did have an investigation and it did give us a whitewash and it did tell us there was no problem with uh, what was going on at the time of the Guptas. So come on, guys, really, you know, are we idiots? Anyway, there are, we're trying something new today on our live stream on YouTube. And you can get the, just go into businessradio.com and you'll find the live, tune, uh, live stream there. We've got a live chat. So I've got my iPad in front of me and I've got a few people who've actually sent some questions through. Uh, you, you're welcome to put questions. Ray and Gideon have already posed questions. One which David Shapiro, I want you to think about. Uh, Gideon says the steps. Steps will have to be taken to bring Ramaphosa to book or is he above the law? Let's hear what uh, you've got to say after 
this insight on today's markets. Brightrock believes that every change in life comes opportunity. Sorry, let me start that again. Brightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Justin. The JSE All Share Index was down at 67,400. Earnings season in the US. Last night, Apple and Facebook reported great numbers after the bull, adding to those of Alphabet and Microsoft the day prior. On the JSE, first rand up 3.25% to 53 rand a share. Pick and pay down 2.5% to 54 rand 50. NASPIS lower by 45 bucks to 3,320 rand a share. And British American Tobacco also trading lower today. Following the Biden administration proposal to ban menthol products, another attack on tobacco manufacturers, the shares trading at 520 rand. In the currency markets, the rand was stronger against all the major currencies to 14 rand 30 to the dollar, 19 rand 95 to the sterling, and 17 rand 32 to the euro. Gold is down at $1,768 an ounce. Brent crude is trading at $68.20 a barrel, and the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 770,000 rand a bitcoin. And this market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Okay, David, so is Mr. Ramaphosa above the law? He's not above the law, but uh, sadly... Um, they act as though they are above the law, as we have seen with ANC politics as well. And I think that's sad. I don't think we're ever going to regain the kind of uh, view that people had of us in, in the 90s when uh, you know, democracy was introduced. We, we, you know, the only way we can ever get back to being that beacon of light for Africa is to actually remove everybody and start again. Uh, I don't know who's going to replace them, but I've become very disappointed in, um, you know, in what we've seen. And Alec, you know, I come from, I'm married into a deeply, deeply political um, family, a, a family who gave up so much to achieve what they did in 1994. And I think there's, there's massive disappointment uh, amongst all those people, you know, when they look and see where we are with the ANC today. And, and, you know, Alec, the one thing I must say is that so many of the players that are still present today were there in 1994. They were there. So they've gone through this whole journey. They know what's happening. You know, in any business uh, around the board table, you're supposed to know what's happening in your uh, constituency. You're supposed to know what's happening um, in your country. And I, to turn a blind eye, and just to dismiss it, I, I, it's just unacceptable for me. And so brazenly as well. That's the mm. thing. Is it? Is he mm. playing to an audience that he thinks we fools, or is it? Is it a different audience that'll celebrate, or perhaps aspire to become one of that elite that can be cater deployed? It, the whole thing just. I, I don't know. It, it's you know, it's so it's crazy. so unlike Cyril. It's so unlike the Cyril of the nineties you know, who was such a vibrant man, who was such a powerful leader, and who was uh, the appointed nominee of, uh, of Mandela. You know, he was the one uh, that Mandela wanted to run the country. But what's happened in the transition, I can't explain. How he's become the kind of person now, I've, it just, just uh, eludes me. Um, and also the other people as well, you know, all the other, all the other big names that have, that have come along the way as well. Anyway. Ray asks a question. Ray Wolpe asks a question. She says, uh, I'd love to hear a comment on the 22% drop in Tongart Hewlett share price today. <laughs> After yesterday's buy recommendation, of course, by us, we put it in the portfolio. Uh, and Tongart Hewlett's 1500 update uh, today on debt restructuring and the cautionary announcement. I, I read through it, David. Uh, it, I suppose you could interpret it as they might not be able to secure... <laughs> A, a deal with the banks, but the banks have already got 5 billion rand from Tongot Hewlett. It sounds a bit stupid that the banks would now pull the plug, or if they can pull the plug, it, 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 that, that sounds a bit strange. And then the second part of, of the announcement was 
kind of neither here nor there. So I don't know what traders are seeing in this and what they're getting upset about. But I do know on the Business Interactive channel, there's some guys who went in and, and piled in at 7 Rand 50. So it closed at 8 Rand 50 tonight. So they did okay. And if sometimes Mr. Market does catch a panic and you've just got to ride it through. Yeah, I, it's it's unlikely that they're going to allow Tongard Hewlett to uh, to you know go to become insolvent or to go into bankruptcy and not to be able to pay their debt. So I, I'm not sure. I've got to go through this in a lot more detail. I I had chosen this as a big turnaround business, knowing its history, and uh, you know, and it's a long, long history, and knowing where it's placed in the economy, the number of people that it employs, I'm sure yes, and, and a breakup, these could all be sold. But it, it's very unusual that that banks would adopt the attitude. So I've got to go through the announcement with a finer tooth comb to understand why the market would have dumped it by by 22 percent. Well, some in the market would have dumped it. Well, some, yeah, and yeah. we must never forget oh, yeah. that. It's, it's not always rational uh, rationality in the consequence of an announcement, but let's see. They're a good, well-managed company. Uh, they are a March year-end. We will be hearing more detail from the business in the next few weeks uh, when they come out with their results, but everything that they've said officially including in the mm. webinar, the one-hour webinar that uh, Gavin Hudson, the CEO, had with us, mm-hmm. showed that things were going in the right direction. Now, I, I remember I was in a program where you interviewed him, mm-hmm. and yeah. he came across with such authority and with in so much control. And it's against that reason. I, I chose five stocks where their new managers were in, which included PPs, and he was certainly one of them. So and Ray, very, Ray mm. can stick with it. Just, uh, just ride out the storm. I, <laughs> and and uh, and we'll we'll hopefully um, see th- much better days in prospect. Uh, David, I had a a really interesting interview with Helen Ziller yesterday uh-huh. after the publication of her recent book, uh, "Go Woke, Go Broke." Uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> it joins so many dots that South Africans need to have joined for them. But in this little clip. Uh, we spoke about the succession, secession rather, mm. of the Western mm. Cape. Mm-hmm. And as it happens, mm-hmm. cater deployment. Let's have a listen mm. to the, well, listen in on part of our conversation. At the end of your book, you lay out various options. And one of the options that is gaining in popularity, perhaps through ignorance, well, certainly after reading what you had to say about it, it was clear that there's a lot of ignorance on this, is secession. And when you begin by having a look at the difference, particularly of the Western Cape with the rest of the country, both its governance and its uh, philosophy towards the economy, towards free enterprise, it would seem as though it's inevitable that the Western Cape will secede. But that's not going to happen. Well, it can't happen in terms of constitutional mechanisms until and unless the national government accedes to that in terms of the Constitution, Section 235 of the Constitution. Now, there is no way, unless a new party comes to power that would support secession, that that would ever happen. So what we can push for within current constitutional parameters is far greater devolution of power, far greater federalism, far greater autonomy for the provinces and for local authorities. And that is achievable and that is what we must get right. But you also say that there's a a bigger story going on here, that South Africa is dealing with issues that many countries are either also having to deal with and maybe ignoring it or going to have to deal with in future. So we are important to the rest of the world, a little bit like an experiment that they're watching. Well, basically, the culture wars in America are about what the two competing sides would say were incompatible cultures. Now, if cultures are that incompatible across national and ethnic lines, then the world's in a very difficult place. Populations are on the move. Whatever you try to do to stop them or to reverse the tide, populations are moving 
and they're moving with their cultures and with their prejudices and with their worldviews. And the big challenge in the world is for countries to manage that and to deal with that. And no country has to face that more urgently than South Africa. But Europe is going to face it more and more with a massive population migration. And although the British voted for Brexit and although the Americans elected Trump, that is not a medium and long-term solution. In the medium and long-term, the world is going to have to learn how we cross those barriers and live together in the same country. Now, in South Africa, we've tried to do that by getting a constitution, a values-based constitution, and understanding what the foundational principles are to succeed. And that is why wokeness is so dangerous, because it is a smokescreen for what will become an assault on the constitution. No doubt about that. Because more and more, the values that underpin the constitution are being presented and misrepresented as an imposition of white colonials, which aren't rooted in the South African reality. And that is why the EFF more and more will be arguing that uh, the protection of property rights is something that is alien to black South Africans, that owning land and owning property wasn't indigenous part of the culture, and therefore the revolution must get rid of that kind of thing. And that is the danger of wokeness, that it gives credence and it gives some kind of moral camouflage to those extraordinarily dangerous ideas that are only going to be in the interests of the elite who are going to seize all the property for, them, for themselves under the pretext that they're helping the poor, which is cynical in the extreme. There is, though, a view that, well, we've got Ramaphosa now and Zuma's gone and we don't have the nuclear project of a trillion rand that he was going to steal and the Guptas are in Dubai and Dudizani's left the country. Things are going to improve. ACE is going to get the, the boot soon. From reading your book, you don't actually get even close to agreeing with that thesis. Not at all. Not at all. For every ace, there's a couple of jokers, believe me. And uh, they're all behind there being deployed. I mean, the real thing that we have to be worried about is the extent to which cater deployment has hollowed out the state and really turned us from having once had a capable state to having a dysfunctional state. And you just have to look at the situation with all the state-owned enterprises to understand how bad it can get. The great thing we have to oppose now and stand against now with everything that we've got is the extent to which the ANC wants to extend that failure to the private sector as well. The latest amendments to the Act, which basically say that companies can be fined 10% of turnover or something like that if they don't mirror the population ratios, are just a passport to disaster for the private sector as well. And it's as if we haven't learned anything from state failure. The, the attempt to double down on the causes of that failure rather than to correct them is something that we have to be very, very clear about, vigilant about, and opposed with everything we've got. So there's no way that the ANC can rescue South Africa from the ANC. The ANC is a problem. Cyril Ramaphosa is not saying we're going to scrap cater deployment. He's not saying we're going to facilitate a meritocracy. He's saying none of that. He's saying that they will continue doubling down on racial quotas on the basis of national demographics when a tiny percentage of black people, comparatively speaking, have the qualifications needed for running major enterprises, which is an enormously significant challenge. So despite all of that, they're pushing ahead with this, which tells me only one thing. They want to follow the cater deployment policy that has ravaged the state, and they want to follow through with that throughout the entire economy. And this is in fulfillment of the national democratic revolution, which basically means the party must control the state and the state must control society. And now they're on the next stage of that revolution and we have to push back with everything we've got and not 
be entranced by mellifluous words from Cyril Ramaphosa. And this thought leadership feature was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. At BrightRock, we believe that change can unlock amazing opportunities. We've partnered with industry leaders to provide you with tips and tools to help you navigate life's big change moments. Welcome to this week's thought leadership feature, which was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Well, David, uh, there you have it from Helen Ziller, who is the ultimate survivor in politics, I guess you could call her. Uh, it, the, the extended interview will be available on Business Radio tomorrow, but a, an interesting uh, perspective. And she was actually saying all of this before uh, the bombshells about Qaeda deployment at the Zondo Commission were exposed. Yeah, look, extremely articulately and, and and well put. It's very difficult to absorb all of it. You know, I was listening intently, but, you know, it's something that bothers me. And uh, we all talk about uh, the need to turn this economy around. And yet there's just so much political ideology that just keeps us dragging us down and down. There are so many willing people who want to to see change here. But against the kind of backdrop that uh, Helen uh, paints, it's very, very difficult to achieve anything. And what happens is people either emigrate or go their own way or just give up. And it's, it's a sad state of affairs. Again, I come back to where what I said earlier on. This was never the intentions uh, when, when, when we entered democracy in 1994, when we all stood in those lines and cast our vote for the first, well, um, you know, most of the population cast their vote for the first time. I think we all celebrated the Rainbow Nation, and we've just moved so far away from it, as, um, as Helen has uh, articulated. So... Uh, how we get back there, I haven't got the solution. It, it I, might, you know, I, it, I don't know. It might not have been your intention, but it was always the ANC's intention. In 1997, at their 50th conference, they yeah. adopted CADA deployment as an official mm. policy. Yeah. In 1998, yeah. Jacob Zuma was made the chairman of the CADA deployment committee, which is probably the most powerful um, largesse dispensing organization in South African history. But it is what it is. And we have with us Anthony Butler. Now, Anthony is a professor. He attended Oxford and Cambridge. He is a professor at University of Cape Town. But more than that, he wrote the Ramaphosa biography, which is the reference work for anybody who really wants to know who the president is or who the man is running this country. And having read through it, very slowly, because I did an audio book uh, on Anthony's book, I got to absorb quite a lot of the story he was telling. And Anthony, it does surprise me with everything that Ramaphosa has done in his life that he seems to have this blind spot to cater deployment, which quite clearly, from a rational perspective, has cost the country so dearly. Hi, hello, Alec. Um, yes, I, I take your point, And I, I embrace much of what Helen said. Um, I think that a blind spot is unlikely, given that any South African could have opened their newspaper over the past five or six years and read in quite a lot of detail what has been going on in terms of the relationships between the ANC the government and business and the way in which those relationships have been undermined and corrupted by deployment policies. So uh, it's uh, certainly it would be more than a, a surprise or a shock, as Ramaphosa might put it, um, to find that he didn't know what was going on. Um, and presumably people within the ANC inner circle know a good, good deal more than us. But on the other hand, there's a, there are a couple of real issues that Ramaphosa did raise at the Commission of Inquiry. Uh, um, when, uh, in his formulation that deployment cannot be faulted in principle, um, but there are weaknesses in it, his, in its implementation, um, and he, he went on to describe some of those weaknesses, particularly appointments to 
SOEs uh, as uh, disastrous. Um, and I think the first point we have to begin from is that the public service at whatever level is inherently political. And we can see that clearly when the ANC adopted its deployment policy in 1997, that it had agreed in the constitutional negotiations to a continuity of much of the personnel in the public service. But it wanted to bring about change, a new set of policies, a new direction for the country, and one that it was, I think, correct to see wasn't warmly embraced by much of the public service. So there was a a motivation uh, there that is shared by all political parties in all political contexts, including, I, I think it's fair to say, the, the Democratic Alliance when it became the party of government in the Western Cape, that there is a perfectly legitimate sense in which the party that's elected to govern is uh, has uh, a series of politically influenced appointments that will allow them to change the direction that the public bureaucracy is taking. Otherwise, democracy is empty. Yes, I think that's fair enough. So there there is a point that we mustn't ignore. And uh, the problem is that that point made a lot of sense in the transition when we did have a public service of that kind. But by, for example, 2011, 2012, this was really not so much of an issue in the public service. There had been a huge turnover. David Shapiro, have you got any thoughts on this or something that a question you'd like to pose to Anthony? I, you know, listening to Anthony and listening to Helen, and she made this point, um, my worry and, and, and the concern is, has this bled through to the private sector as well? In other words, is this, has this deployment policy forced the hands of many corporations as well in the same way that um, it forced the hands of the SOEs? You know, is this now starting to creep into the private sector as well? Anthony? Well, uh, that, that certainly is an issue. I'm, I'm not sure um, what I was discussing there was a, a perfectly legitimate set of policy objectives from the point of view of the ANC in the public sector. And I think it, in a way it makes sense to discuss how that's gone wrong because it has done. And Ramaphosa was really very evasive about how it's gone wrong in the public sector and in the SOEs in particular. So, uh, well, in fact, uh, I, I shouldn't say in particular because at local government level we have effectively a disaster in many municipalities where political appointments have driven out skills that are essential for the effective functioning of government. So there is an important story there about what's gone wrong. The private sector, there is a different story which really concerns something else, which is black economic empowerment policy. And again, I think there is a separate story there about a need for a change in patterns of ownership and control in the society. And the, I would say the story of BEE over the past 25 years has been that it has failed from both ends. So we haven't mm. the empowerment of black South Africans. Sorry, Alec, I ju I, let me just finish. Yeah, we no, haven't we, seen really... We were losing you, and I was just going to say, if you could just repeat what you said. Oh, sorry, Alec. Which part, Alec? Give, give me uh, the... Uh, the failure, you, you, you were saying the failure, uh, BE policies have failed from both Oh, ends. yes. Okay, so, so, so black economic empowerment has failed from both ends in the sense that very few black South Africans have been genuinely empowered by it. 
And that process has been heavily skewed towards political connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but, at, but at the same time, it, it's imposed heavy costs on business. But I think that deployment and BEE, although they are linked, they are also distinct. So they're both legitimate interventions, and they're both areas in which things have gone wrong. Anthony, just just to close off on this, maybe legitimate in political backgrounds, but when you have a look at the economic consequences in South Africa, mm-hmm. with a massive unemployment, youth unemployment over 60%, and the defense, defense or continued defense of something that has not worked in this country, whatever its, uh, its theoretical uh, benefits might be, surely at some point the ANC has to reassess uh, rather than what we heard today or the last couple of days, uh, doubling down as Helen Ziller uh, described it. Yeah, I think that's probably not right. I think Helen has probably missed some of the more subtle undertones. Um, I think we haven't seen a doubling down, but what we uh, what we see is an ANC that will not change its position in public. But I think there's a widespread awareness within the ANC that both Carter deployment in its conventional form is not working because it has stoked, on the one hand, factional politics. So when we talk about Carter deployment, it's not this thing called the ANC that is deploying. It's factions that are deploying and factions that are building war chests. So it's the ANC that is destabilized as much as the country by those policies. Anthony Butler, the biographer of uh, the excellent uh, biography on Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, giving us his insights on the whole catered deployment story. And as you heard, uh, some criticism of Helen Ziller's views. Well, it's nice to have a pickup now with Kevin Brady, who's the chief executive of A2X. Kevin, uh, we had an interesting discussion last night uh, with Chris Logan, uh, who explained to us that of all the exchanges around the world that are listed on stock exchanges, the only one that has performed poorly in the last five years has been the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, your competitor. Now, is it that, uh, that A2X is taking, is eating their lunch, or is it just a function of not being able to manage with the competition generally? Because volumes we know all around the world have been rising significantly. Um, well, firstly, Alex, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's a good question to start off with. Um, without really knowing the full context of, of, of the comment, um, what I would say is that obviously South Africa does face its own challenges. Um, and as, as in any investment destination, uh, having the macro environment uh, right is a very, very important of, any, of the growth. Um, our role, as we see it, is that, you know, We've only ever had a, one supplier or one provider in terms of stock exchanges, uh, whereas in many parts of the world, clearly regulators came in and opened up the gap for competition. And they specifically did this, uh, and, and they started in the secondary market to create the benefits that competition bring. And you know, that's efficiency, that's client service, that's innovation, um, all those good things. Um, and the end result of that in many jurisdictions has been reducing the cost of raising capital. And, and that's really why regulators have gone down this road. And despite South Africa having a very advanced, you know, capital system, uh, it was really only, you know, in the last four or five years that it opened up for some type of competition. Um, and so we see our role as, as you know, providing consumers choice um, and bringing the good things that competition bring with it. So, you know, we believe by doing that, we can help grow the overall market. Kevin, as you're saying, the JSE is essentially a monopoly, which I find extremely ironic. If you have to think about all the paperwork and the red tape that the other companies on the exchange have to go through, shareholder approval, TRP approval, and they're essentially a monopoly. Surely it'll be healthy. I know you guys just offer secondary listing services. For you guys to offer primary listing services, um, 
So, so there's some form of competition. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, there are a number of alternative exchanges. Uh, our model is to, to focus on the secondary market. We did a lot of research into, into various models around the world and challenger exchanges who had been successful. And there's no doubt, if you look at the, the breakdown of where the, the money is at the moment, it's in the secondary market that charge in very, very many levels. But we're very conscious that for any market to continue growing, you do need to offer primary. Um, so we're just doing it incrementally. We started off with the secondary listing of, of companies. We've moved into the secondary listing of ETFs and ETNs. We amended our license last year to include inward listings. Um, and so, you know, we will take those steps in time. Uh, but for us, obviously, it's about getting the step where we are now to the next level before we, get, we, we, we move into that space. David, were you ever on the JSE committee, the all-powerful at one point when it was still a club? Mm. Mm. I was on for six years, yeah. And, and I've got a lot to say. <laughs> Pray tell. <laughs> I, you know, um, I, I recall um, around about the end of 89, 90, where uh, there were two competitive uh, computer systems, MASS and the BD, BCA at that stage. And what happened is that we were a MASS system, which goes back, there's a whole history uh, to, to where we were. And without making this too long a story, we were forced to, uh, in what was a bitter fight, um, which uh, you know really cost me my position on the committee, etc. We fought for um, uh, you know two systems, and what happened is that they 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 wanted one system on which they can control everything, and today we still are on that system. The stock exchange system, Kevin, will bear me out that we manage our affairs was written in 19, I don't know, 89, 1990. It's in a language which no one understands. There are very few people who can do it, and there are many attempts to do it. But, Alec, what I'm alluding to is that there was a certain arrogance which is, uh, came with that clubby type of atmosphere. And uh, I've got lots of stories that I can share which, which include the opening up of um, you know of of the stock exchange, so I think a lot has to go back to the very old days and the foundation on which the stock exchange was uh, was built. I don't know Layla. I've, I've I haven't met her, and I'm hoping that she can start to bring changes that you know Chris has been talking about. I spoke to Chris Logan at length also about some of the issues that are that are holding the stock exchange back. So hopefully. She looks like a person who's going to make things move without taking anything away from Kevin and the alternatives, which I think we've got to encourage. Uh, there's a lot that needs to be addressed. The stock exchange needs to look at itself in the mirror. Yeah, Kevin, you've surely heard the view or the credo that comes out of Silicon Valley, which says that uh, startups, uh, the fight between startups and incumbents, i.e. yourselves and the JSE, is a race for the by the startups to get distribution before the incumbents get innovation. Now, have you got the distribution? Are you at a scale now? Because clearly you've innovated. You've had to innovate. Otherwise, if you were just repeating what the JSE was doing, you wouldn't be in business today. And are you seeing that the JSE is starting to wake up, as David mentioned? So, look, yes, I mean, it's, it's an important statement that you're right, we need to innovate faster than they can change. Um, look, I think in terms of, there's two sides to it. So I think um, one is the listing, how much product do we have on our market? Um, one of the things in South Africa that makes it difficult is regulation is not in line with international best practices yet. And so we have no alternative venue or uh, MTF model in South Africa. So we have to get the permission of every company to encourage them to have a secondary listing, which really is just complementary to your primary listing. But that takes time. We feel we've got critical mass on the, on the product side. We've got 51 listings with a combined market cap of around about 5.2 trillion. Ten of the listings are, um, you know, top 40 index constituents. So from that perspective, we're very excited and I think we're making great progress. The other side is, is, is broker um, becoming members of our market. Again, we've made huge strides. Uh, we, of, of the top 10 brokers in South Africa, and it's quite a scary thought, the top 10 brokers do 90% of what happens on a daily basis. We've got five of the top six signed up uh, and, and active on our market. Interestingly enough, our biggest challenge is, it goes back to exactly what David has said, is that every, 
all brokers in South Africa, their infrastructure is pointed to one market. And their reliance on the BDA system is immense. It is everything to them. It is a, uh, you know, a CRM, it's a deal management system, it's a portfolio management, it's risky. I can go on and on, it's a beast. Um, so what we've had to do is, is very much that. We've had to continue to innovate and develop. And so to, to try and break that logjam, we've, we've come out with, um, we've done a joint venture actually with a local tech firm and released our own post-trade system really, which doesn't compete with BDA at this point in time, but it does compete with a segment of BDA uh, at a much more attractive rate using the latest technology. So I think we are definitely innovating at, at a fast pace. Um, the JSE is responding, uh, but it's, again, you know, it's, uh, it's it's difficult changing culture and changing systems. I mean, you know, BDA is an example. You know, it's close on 40 years old. Uh, they've tried replacing it several times. It's expensive, right? So it's just not that easy for them. For us, you know, blank piece of paper makes life a lot easier. So, you know, I'm very comfortable that we are, we believe we're at the, ahead on that game and um, excited about what's to come. Big advantage not having legacy, even though the incumbent does have the distribution. But uh, somebody who knows all about that is Gidon Novik, the chief executive of Lyft. Gidon, uh, we had a, a fascinating discussion, which you were in at lunchtime today with uh, in our webinar on 12J. But we won't talk about 12J tonight. We want to talk a little about Mango. Because for years, when you were the chief executive of Comair, uh, Mango and... South African Airways with thorns in your side. Now Mango, from what I understand, has cancelled all its flights. Uh, the people who bought tickets are no longer going to fly anywhere. Uh, what are we to make of this? Yeah, listen, it's an industry, Alec, in uh, massive change. Um, COVID accelerated a lot of the dynamics that were happening pre-COVID, but they've been, uh, it's all happening very fast. Um, on the ground, with regards Mango, we, uh, we're doing at Lyft. We're doing what we can to accommodate their passengers and and just help out. So it's been a crazy, crazy time. And uh, yeah, the in, the industry's uh, you know set for a rebirth. I think there's just been so much uh, dramatic change going on. But is it a, a system of or a question of Mango just having too much legacy and not being able to adjust? You've started a new airline. Lyft is new. Everyone I know, including myself, who's flown Lyft really enjoys it. It's a good experience. It's well-priced. Mango, however, in this environment, seems to be incapable of surviving, let alone competing. Why? Well, thanks, Alec. I mean, I appreciate um, the feedback. Um, you, you know, th there's a few things going on. The one is there's, there's a massive um, step change in the efficiency opportunity in the airline industry. And, uh, and that efficiency is, is driven by a dramatic drop in the, in the cost of aircraft, um, driven by COVID, what's happened in the past kind of three or four decades is that you know every every major cycle, whether it's the September the 11th or the 2008 financial crisis, has resulted in uh, a, a huge drop in aircraft values. What we're seeing now is uh, has, has never happened before. You know, we're looking at about two thirds drop in uh, in the cost of aircraft. So so that's quite dramatic. Um, you know, and that's um, that you know that's obviously your single biggest fixed asset in the business. And what that really leads to is that you don't have to take on massive debt um, in the industry. In fact, we take on none at all. Uh, that drives down fixed costs dramatically, and it just results in flexibility, um, which, which means that we can fly when there's demand, and we don't have to fly when, you know, when we think we have to fly because our planes are sitting on the ground. So that's been quite a step change, particularly in an environment where demand is so uncertain and you have these waves of COVID and uncertainty around the future of business, travel and tourism, et cetera, et cetera. But you've still got a competitor that's being consistently bailed out by taxpayers, so even though taxpayers would certainly not vote to bail it out. Uh, is that not something that gives them, it should give them an advantage? Is the disadvantage from the scenario that you've painted so great that it's incapable of, of them surviving this. Well, I think that, you know, that model's become unsustainable uh, as well, um, not only in this country, but around the world. Um, you know, national airlines, uh, particularly in Africa, have, have struggled. Many have gone out of business. Um, and it's a time for a rethink of, you know, what is the model that works? 
um, countries do like to have uh, a representation in in the airline industry for various reasons. Um, and but but the model's got to change, and um, and you know, and I think this is the start of uh, of that model changing. Kevin Brady, it's interesting to get your view on this. Are there any parallels with what's going on with the uh, airline sector? And indeed, uh, that's happening at uh, the stock exchanges. Well, well, actually, the last comment made me smile because someone said to me that all countries want to have a flag, an army, an airline, and an exchange. (laughs) 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 So there's definitely parallels there. Um, Yes, I mean, the cost of of technology has come down immensely and – and it's a lot more resilient and a lot more agile from our perspective, uh, and that allows us to to do a lot more with it. Um, so you pay less and you get a lot more for your money. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it puts you it puts you in a much better position. Um, the 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 cost of entering certain industries like the exchange is still they're still fairly high in terms of high barriers. It might have come down tremendously, but it's a platform business. You need to build a platform. That's at least as good as who you're challenging. Uh, you need to have all the right bums in the seats. You've got a lot of regulatory oversight. So there is a cost that comes with it. Um, it's just that that cost has come down tremendously. So your break-even points much, much easier. So I guess from that aspect, there are a lot of parallels. Get on that whole story that uh, they articulate in Silicon Valley about startups getting distribution before incumbents get innovation. It appears yeah. as though when you state-owned, to innovate is very difficult. Well, it's difficult when you when when you have you know legacy issues to deal with. It's difficult when you can't move quickly. Um, customer needs have changed dramatically with COVID. Um, you know, technology. Obviously, the more um, what one can leverage of technology, the more we you know one can adapt to those changes. A small example is you know we introduced this idea of free free changes and cancellations, but you know you need the technology to support that. And uh, we were able to put a system in place where customers can just get credits very easily into their account and use them, you know, seamlessly. You know, look, looks very easy on the outside, but the technology's got to support that. So it just, it really does enable us to focus on the rapidly changing customer needs for sure. Kevin, I guess uh, a challenger uh, exchange has similar challenges. Um, yes, I mean, I think. Um you know, in terms of the incumbent, uh, those, those, those points are, are very true. Um, and yeah, uh, very similar in terms of, you know, we can, we can introduce order types, we can change settlement cycles, uh, we can bring on many more, um, uh, companies in terms of, um, listings. Uh, we just have a lot of that flexibility, which does allow us to be a lot more responsive to a changing environment and to customer needs. Look, we, we are held back to some degree by oversight and regulation, which takes a bit of time. Um, but, you know, it, it, it does put us in a very strong position. Million-dollar question for both of you, starting with Gedon. If you were running Mango, or even better, South African Airways, including Mango, Gedon, what would you do? Sure, it's difficult, Alec. You know, so much of the of the legacy has got to be cleared out, and I think that's the starting point. You know, you've you've literally got to start from scratch as much as you can. There's so much that's changed. There's so much legacy that gets built up over over years and years and years, um, and there gets a point in, I guess, many b- business cycles where you've actually just got to start again, and that becomes the you know most um, you know the best option in terms of success. It's just clean the slate and start again. Same question to you, Kevin. Well, as a as a, a taxpayer <laughs> and a reluctant taxpayer to be funding SAA and Mango, I, you know, I think uh, you know the best thing is to stop funding them, and either they they go insolvent or they they make a plan. No, no I, I, I'm sorry. Let me put it differently. If you were running the Johannesburg Stock Exchange or JSE Limited, what would you be doing right now? I think there are a couple of things. I think you, yeah, you need to change culture. Um, move away from a more regulatory mindset into a, a, a much more, you know, client focused. And I think, you know, I think they are doing that. Uh, and yes, I think some of their key systems need replacing and you need to somehow rip them out and put new systems in there to make them a lot more agile and responsive. Uh, it's a big ask, a uh, difficult thing to do. David Shapiro, last word from you to these two gents. 
the the question I wanted to ask you on was what is the new airline going to look like? Are we still going to be slobbering over each other or, or is there going to be spacing? Are health standards going to change? And I think to Kevin, where I support him, and I think the biggest the biggest obstacle to mobility in stock exchanges is something called FICA, you know, and compliance. We have more FICA people, more compliance people than we do have people trying to sell the stock exchange. And to be honest, um, I'm not sure how effective they are. So if Kevin wants to do it, I think uh, I think one's got to ease back on a lot of regulation. Um, you know, and it, to me, it's a it's a massive inhibitor to to actually developing the stock exchange and getting more people in and so on. So, but I, I I'm more interested in how how we're going to fly in the future. Whether we're going to have to wear masks and, and you're still going to have somebody slobbering over you, you know, as he falls asleep on the trip to Cape Town. <laughs> <laughs> David, we're gonna we're gonna give you a special seat. Uh, Special seats in the front. You may have to pay a little bit more, so you may have to cough up. Eighty bucks, <laughs> exactly. But 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 it's a it's a good point. Um, if you do have somebody, if you pack together, and you have somebody next to you who sneezes, uh, apart from getting a, an icy stare, uh, what else can you do about it? Yeah, um, not a hell of a lot, I guess. Um, you know, take some tissues along. Um, yeah, listen, there's there's all sorts of uh, technical reasons I can tell you that it's it's safe on board even with COVID and the circulation of air or the rapid circulation of air. Um, it's definitely, you know, the research seems to be showing that, it, you know, there's no greater risk being on an aeroplane even though you are close to people. So, you know, that's it. And, you know, there, there is, there is uh, obviously premium seating and, you know, you can pay more for a little bit more space. I always like to sit at the exit row, so I can recommend that as well. Um, but, uh, you know, we make, make the best of a, of a two hour flight, David. Do some work, read a nice book and, and ignore, ignore your neighbor. And listen to podcasts. So let's close off with you, Kevin. Uh, your, your final response to the regulation story. Yeah, no, look, I think David's right. I mean, we are overregulated um, and it continues to increase. And I think sometimes rather than trying to strive to be the best regulated market in the world, we should try and find a balance in terms of attracting new listings and, and raising money mm-hmm. and, and the regulation that comes with it. Mm-hmm. As we've seen, you can have all the regulation in the world unless you have the people in the company mm-hmm. um, with the right spirit and adherence, they can, they can find ways around it, as we've seen with Steinhoff. So, yes, that, that balance is very important to help grow this market. Kevin Brady is the chief executive of the Challenger, or the biggest of the Challenger exchanges in South Africa, A2X. There are a couple of others who also are, are making great strides. And uh, Giron Novik is the chief executive of the Challenger airline in South Africa, Lyft. Uh, and on the demise of Mango, Well, at least if you'd booked with Lyft, it might have been, at the time that you booked, a little bit more expensive than Mango, particularly if you wanted David Shapiro's front row seat. But uh, at least you'd be flying tomorrow. Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Bright Rock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And Justin will bring us up to date as uh, as we bid all of our guests adieu. The JSCL share index was down at 67,400. Earnings season in the US. Last night, Apple and Facebook reported great numbers after the bull, adding to those of Alphabet and Microsoft the day prior. On the JSC, first round was up 3.25% to 53 rand. Pick and pay down 2.5% to 54 and 50 a share. NASPIS lower by 45 bucks to 3,320 rand a share, and British American Tobacco also trading lower today, following the Biden administration's proposal to ban menthol products, another attack on tobacco manufacturers. The share is trading at 520 rand a share. In the currency markets, the rand was weaker against all the major currencies. Apologies, stronger. 14 rand 30 to the dollar, 19 rand 95 to the sterling, and 17 rand 32 to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,768 an ounce. Brent crude is trading at $68.20 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 770,000 rand a Bitcoin.
Isn't that interesting? Uh, it used to just be one-way traffic. You could say the rand was weaker, the rand was weaker, the rand was weaker. Now you've got to actually watch. Those are my notes from yesterday. yesterday and I, I, I remember the notes. <laughs> this market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. From the business team, we'll be back in your company again tomorrow night with Naughty Friday. What? Festive Friday. Festive Friday. And Naughty Carrie with no, her corner, Carrie's corner, the Naughty Corner. Uh, we've got to get David Shapiro in one Friday night. I know it's, 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 uh, it's difficult for you, but. Uh, start, when, when I start shivering, David, I don't sleep well on Thursdays because I know Carrie Adams is coming into the studio. With a couple of bottles of wine that she forces on Justin. Poor Justin. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.